You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm your co-host from BleacherReport.com, Chad Dundas. And joining me, as always, from MMA Junkie in USA Today, it's your friend and mine, Mr. Ben Folks. Ben, it's back to school days. Yes, it is. You got both the kids out of the house, if I'm, uh, if I can take anything away from your wife's Facebook posts. Yeah, it, it actually went all right. But I'm a little jealous when I come home and I see, you know, I got my kids off to preschool, which uh, when I leave here, I have to go commit an armed robbery just to be able to afford having both of them in the same preschool. It's like having a second and now for you, a third mortgage. Yeah. Uh, and then I see you managed to get your daughter into public education. She's uh, in the system. Yep. I turned her over to the public education system. I like the way that you say that I managed to do that, though. Like, they don't just take everybody who's like four and five years old I'm, off your hands. I meant that you managed to keep her alive this long. Well, because that is, the betting pool that we had going uh, among our friend group, there's going to be some disappointed people. That's I'll just why, say that. That's why we had to have three. We're probably going to lose one. Yeah. Right? That's just... And I mean that literally, just lose one of them yeah. some, at some point. Yeah, no, I realized that after I dropped her off for her first date at uh, kindergarten today that uh, her life is basically out of my hands at this point. I have no control anymore as to what gang she joins, uh, what melee weapon of choice she decides to adopt, right. whether it's a baseball bat with nails pounded through it or just like the drive chain from her Harley. She just swing that around. Yeah. See, I basically picture her coming home from her first day of kindergarten as like one of the, the chicks and mean girls. Just already has decided, like, whose life she's going to ruin. Um, you know, you could have at least given her some advice on which gang to join. Well, I'll tell you that's, this. That's what you were supposed to do as a father, I believe. The Sharks, not the Jets, is what I said. Okay. Uh, that's how the gangs still work, right? Yeah. Um, I picked her up already because it's only a half day to start the year here. And uh, her two takeaways from the first day of kindergarten were, number one, she was mad that she didn't get to ride the bus home. And number two, she was mad that she didn't get to eat school lunch. So just a lot of fury. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? Uh, there's always tomorrow. Yeah. And the day after that and the day after that, every day until you turn 18. So wow. I think we're going to get this this handled. Sounds good, I guess. Ben, did I ever tell you about uh, that I messed my knee up a few weeks ago? Yeah, how'd you how'd you do that? Were you jumping up on a box like a damn moron? Probably something like that. Uh, I don't know exactly what it was to be honest with you, but the pain got to the point that I didn't know if I was going to be able to go work out. So you know what I did? What did you do, Chad? I tried out some of the free samples we got from the fine people at Receptra Naturals, and now my personal opinion is, brother, they work. I took some of that active lifestyle liquid CBD oil, the kind that you uh, take with the little medicine dropper. It worked great. I was able to go to the gym and work out pain-free for a week or so until my knee got better. I was seriously impressed with the results, you guys, and I say this as a broken-down 40-year-old man who limps painfully down the stairs every morning when I wake up. So now, 
Receptor Naturals has my personal stamp of approval. Well, it doesn't surprise me, Chad, since Receptor Naturals provides premium, pure, CBD-rich hemp extracts specially formulated for athletes and fitness enthusiasts. CBD works as a neuroprotectant and anti-inflammatory and antioxidant, and it can have a host of positive effects on the body, including keeping you focused, sharp, and confident about your every move. We've been working with them for a month or so as sponsors of the Co-Main Event Podcast, and they've also worked with MMA luminaries like Boss Rutten and Joe Warren, so you know the stuff comes highly recommended. From hobbyists, amateurs, and professionally contracted fighters, Receptra Naturals is in your corner. Check out their active lifestyle line of products featuring three hemp extracts, Active, Elite, and Pro, each with a different strength and a unique blend of essential fatty acids like MCT oil, grapeseed oil, and avocado oil, as well as turmeric for additional anti-inflammatory benefits. As an added bonus for our listeners, the folks at Receptra Naturals tell me that you can go online today and use the promo code CME15 to get 15% off your order. Again, that's ReceptraNaturals.com and the promo code CME15. We got music again this week from our friend, The Fifth Element, a music producer from Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, thanks to him for that. And if you like what you hear, you can check him out on Facebook, facebook.com slash The Fifth Element, at Twitter, at The Fifth Element, or soundcloud.com slash The Fifth Element Official. Now, it's been a while since we had music for The Fifth Element. That's true. Ben, so I want to remind the people out there. How's it spelled? The with an A. Okay. The number five. Oh. The Fifth Element. Thelement. Okay, got Thelement. it. Thelement. Yeah. Number five, TH. All right. I, I can picture it now. Three rounds as usual this week in the co-main event podcast. In round number one, Connor McGregor did way better than he thought, than we thought he would while still managing to lose to Floyd Mayweather by late TKO. Seriously though, you guys, this boxing thing is a definite leave the people wanting more type situation for Connor McGregor. And in round number two, What's next for the bombastic Irishman and his employers at the UFC? And wait a second. Was Floyd Mayweather the Kaiser Sose of this shit all along? And in round number three, WTF, John Jones. W-T-F. Heavy on the F. All that plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff. But first, like we always do about this time... Let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. The first piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Lotus in Texas. It's kind of a long one. Did, what uh, what football team did Lotus in Texas? I play think this for? is an actual person. Lotus in Texas is that like a Scandinavian player? Yep, yep. yep. Uh, I believe it's Alexander Lotus in Texas. Okay. He writes, guys, I want to take you back a couple of days, and then this is a quote purportedly from Dana White, but he doesn't source it, so I don't know where it's from. Boxing never does, does digital, you know, cause the, cause really the biggest promoters of boxing are Showtime and HBO and they don't like OTT. None of those networks like that shit, but we are the best at it in combat sports. So basically if you are anywhere on this planet with Wi-Fi, you can watch this fight from Dana White. And Ooh. then Lotus writes, now I'm not one to look too much into foreshadowing, but come the fuck on. I did some research last week and I was able to find that the Showtime, Showtime app on Apple TV was the best for ordering. So I ordered it on there midday Saturday because I remember all the stories about delaying the Pacquiao fight. When the fight started, I had no issues, but after the first two fights, I checked Twitter for some updates, and to my shock, the same shit was happening. So I have two questions. Question number one, did Dana White really not expect the MMA gods to hear him say this and go, oh, really? And question two, if you haven't seen some of the screenshots from people arguing with fightpass.com, uh, do you think... 
that there is going to be some refunds going on here. Discourse this shit. So Ben, once again, uh, we had a real, some technical difficulties, I guess you would say the night of the Mayweather versus McGregor, uh, extravaganza, which aired across many platforms on uh, the pay-per-view. Uh, well, supposed to air. Supposed to air across many platforms. That's right. And some people are downright pissed. Now, this quote, if I, I also did not see that quote originally, uh, and if, in fact, that is a real Dana White quote, that is just a little too perfect, isn't it? Just teeing up the MMA gods to knock your shit right out of the park. Because you're saying, like, hey, we're way ahead of the game on this. We got the streaming side of this down. No problems whatsoever. <laughs> This finna be a breeze. And then, no, it's not. And the worst part about it, I think, is that we hear all these people being super angry because they depend on, like, they think you're going to be able to order it. They pay their money. They got You got your snacks already? My God, the snacks. And then you don't get to actually watch the fight. And so far, it seems like the people who have gone, like, to the UFC and said, like, hey, what the hell, man, uh, don't really receive a satisfying answer. And... The, you know, we heard the Showtime has put out a, a statement. Other people have said, like, hey, if I bought it through, like, Apple TV or something and wasn't able to watch it, Apple is able to refund my money. Uh, and it seems like right now the UFC is the one just going totally mum on this, which you can't do. You Like, it's two days later. You Like, do you think you're just going to not say anything and people are going to forget that they paid you 100 bucks and didn't get to watch the fight? I mean, not that I'm condoning this, but unfortunately, if you're the UFC, yes, right? Like... Do you like if you're the UFC, you have nearly 20 years of anecdotal evidence suggesting that you can do just whatever to your fan base, and the vast majority of them will be mad about it for like 24 hours and then turn around and order UFC 215 or whatever when it happens next month, right? If I were trying to convince people to get really into illegal online streams, <laughs> this is how I would do it. Because these are your customers. Like, these are the people who actually paid for the shit. Yeah, these are yes. the people who wanted to give you a hundred American dollars in order to watch this thing. And then you, you not only you don't give them what they paid for, but then you don't care that you didn't give them what they paid for and that they're mad. I mean, you were basically telling somebody, like, this is all the justification you need to become an online stream. Like, you don't even need to just be a person who takes part in an online stream. You could dedicate your life to being like an online pirate now and look back on, at this as your moment of inspiration. <laughs> as your origin story. Does it seem weird to you that here we're sitting here in 2017 uh, and not only do we have these these sort of like uh, somewhat epic streaming issues for what is assumedly going to be the biggest pay-per-view of the year and maybe the biggest pay-per-view of all time. And even in addition to that, even when the streaming services work perfectly well, the streaming experience, I would say, is, is like, uh, it's not totally as cool as, as getting the actual pay-per-view because, you know, you have, you run into some issues. Obviously, you can, you can have a, you can have lag. You can, you can drop your, your streaming signal. And even when it's working, like, I find it's sometimes as, as far behind as like a minute of regular yeah. time. So if you're sitting there looking at Twitter, like, like we always do about this time, uh, and you're watching the, the pay-per-view on television, uh, you're going to start seeing updates about Jimmy Manoa scoring an awesome knockout before the fight even starts. Yeah, you'll just see a bunch of, like, all caps tweets that say, Whoa! And Manoa! And you'll he be dead, like, it says. Yes, yeah. that's, that's when you know that it happened. Yeah, well, okay. But, I I mean, maybe, I, I guess I want to believe that we're just in a transition period because this is, I think, significant because of how many people were like, 
you know, they've cut cable. Maybe they don't, they don't have that just in their lives at all, but they're not going to not see this fight. So they look around for streaming options and then figure, okay, like here, I, I've got that figured out. I know how I'm going to watch this fight. And since that's going to be more and more people as we go on, then you're going to have more and more people who are pissed off if it doesn't work. And so, I mean, I, I, I assume that the streaming technology and reliability will have to get better just to keep up with that demand, which is only going to increase as more people get rid of cable. Uh, but if when it screws up, the least you can do is a timely response to try and make things right for those people. Like, I just don't see any excuse for it being two days later and we still haven't heard from you. Next question this week comes to us from Don A, who writes, You're going to be talking a lot about the boxing match, so I want to ask about the UFC as a whole. With the spectacle that was this past weekend, I wonder if McGregor and Dana White brought any new eyes to the UFC, or will fans shrug this off and continue to ignore MMA? Well, they did get an ad for Michael Bisping versus GSP in there. They sure did. They definitely did. And I like, I think this is a pretty interesting question, Ben, and I know we're going to talk a lot about Conor McGregor's performance and uh, the future for Conor McGregor later in this show. But as I've already said, and I think we can reference it answering this question uh, again, uh, even considering that he lost via 10th round TKO to Floyd Mayweather, this thing went about as well as it possibly could for Conor McGregor. Uh, and I think in round number one, we can talk about some of the reasons why it went that well. But this is sort of the cabillion dollar question, right? That Don A asks. Because if you're Conor McGregor, not only are you going to make somewhere between 75 and $150 million just to fight Floyd Mayweather, but the real trick is to introduce yourself to that new audience that is tuning in to watch this pay-per-view that has maybe never seen Conor McGregor fight before to get even a sliver of those people to follow you back over to the UFC to how to watch you fight Nate Diaz or Tony Ferguson or whoever in your next fight in the octagon. That's the kind of, that's the kind of thing that could turn you f from like a really good pay-per-view draw into an astronomical pay-per-view draw. But it also seems to me like it's kind of hard to expect people to do that. Yeah, it's really hard, especially because consider what the person saw, right? If you, or just one of these people who, maybe you're not a huge combat sports fan just in general. I mean, you're aware of it. But obviously, you're not opposed to watching it if you paid 100 bucks to watch this fight. But you could see that. There were a lot of people, at least, you know, I could see it on social media. A lot of people who I follow on Twitter, maybe because they're just funny people or they, you know, have an insight into something completely different. And then you're on Twitter and you realize, okay, this person is watching the fight and they clearly do not usually watch fights. Now, what did they see? Like, they saw this boxing match, which... Depending on what they heard beforehand, maybe they did not know what expectations they should actually have. Like, we know. We came in there thinking, this is borderline ridiculous. It's kind of absurd that you're even able to have this fight. Kind of seemed unsanctionable months ago. And now here it is. And then for Conor McGregor to, you know, land some punches, do fairly well, but clearly, you know, losing on the scorecards and then... Uh, gets finished when he clearly fatigues and just runs out of gas. Is that person, are they surprised as much as we are? Like, are they uh, sufficiently sold on Conor McGregor and then decide, like, okay, I want to see this guy in his actual sport? Like, I don't know, because it's hard for me to say if they knew what the context was enough to appreciate that even this guy losing and just not losing terribly was kind of an accomplishment. 
Yeah, I've had a handful of people that are are just casual acquaintances of mine and people who like barely cover or barely pay attention to combat sports like come up to me and sense the fight and and have positive things to say about Conor McGregor. Uh be like, "Oh, the Irish kid really did okay, huh?" like that. Uh so I think that there was like an overall I guess my my totally unscientific take on it is that the reception of Conor McGregor was was more positive than it was negative. And like I still feel that Conor McGregor handles all of this for the most part with such aplomb that if you give the guy a chance, it's hard not to like him. Yeah, no, he's charismatic. And I guess I wonder, did the people who just heard like, hey, big weird fight Saturday night, come over to my place, uh, bring 10 bucks. We're all going to watch this thing. Did they get to see enough of the right. charismatic? I mean, maybe they got there in time to see the backstage interview with Jim Gray, where there's inexplicably like five garment bags hanging up behind him. Uh, maybe, you know, they, they got to see his post-fight interview, probably. Um, probably did not get to see him showing up in what looked like a really fancy rug uh, cut up into a suit for the, the post-fight press conference, drinking his own whiskey out of a plastic cup. Here's how you know Conor McGregor is basically a rapper. Right. Because now he's got his own whiskey because, you know, he's read all of the stories about how Puffy and Jay-Z and Dr. Dre make all their money now off these liquor endorsements rather than touring or their actual music. And what's more on brand for an Irish MMA fighter than whiskey? Nothing. But here's nothing. Here's what I want to say about this. This basic question, though, is because. For today, I wrote one of those Today in MMA history posts about a fight that happened today back in 2010. You know what I'm going to say? I know what you're going to say. Randy Couture versus Lights Out James Tony. And afterwards, I kind of forgotten this happened. Afterwards, Randy Couture is standing there in the cage after just, you know, running right over James Tony, who barely did anything in the fight. Uh, and. He, you know, is doing the classic Randy Couture thing where he's talking about how he won the fight, but is also magnanimous in victory, giving credit to James Tony. And here's his quote to Joe Rogan standing there after his victory. I'm a huge fan of boxing. A lot of credit to James for stepping up in here as the first boxer to do that. I think all us MMA guys love boxing. And hopefully now there's a whole bunch of boxers like James that will start to love MMA. You think that happened? I'm going to say no, that did not happen. With the, the, uh... The benefit of history, I think we can confidently say that that did not happen. Uh, you want to move on here? Alex Cool Guy Hands? Sure. Who I assume is cousins with Alexander Lotus in Texas? Yeah, plays a fullback for Liverpool. Yep. Alexander Cool Guy Hands writes, Is boxing always hella boring? Give me some UFC fight night skyscraper strew versus Drago Volkov ASAP. <laughs> is that, that That's the mood right now? Nothing to me, Ben says, we're going back to work more than coming off this weekend of, of Mayweather McGregor, which whether you liked it or not was just kind of uh, a trifle, I guess you would say, uh, turning around to a fightpass.com only streaming event headlined by Stefan Struve uh, against uh, Alexander Volkov. That well, the bell just rang. Playtime is over. Uh, we're going back to work. Uh, how about though the question is boxing always hella boring? I assume that's a reference to the undercard of Mayweather McGregor, which, frankly, you know, I was not exactly scintillated by the undercard, but I was pleased to see that their co-main event ended with a kind of weird uh, 
questionable result just because it makes me feel good coming from this side of th- this combat sport to look at another one and be like, oh, yeah, they're they're weird, too. They have plenty of weird bullshit happen uh, where something controversial happens and then everybody just kind of moves on because they don't know what to do about it. Yeah. Well, that, and that was the guy that came out dressed like one of the trolls, too, right? That is correct. The guy look, out there looking like Guy Diamond from Trolls? Look like Grimace. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it does, you know what, it, it honestly makes me feel, it makes me feel a little bit spoiled as an MMA fan, because I agree with you, you don't watch a lot of boxing pay-per-views, I don't watch a lot of boxing pay-per-views, watching this boxing pay-per-view, uh, made me kind of think of how comparatively good I feel like we have it on our side of the aisle, where it's like, you're going to get four or five fights on a pay-per-view. The headlining fight is probably going to be one that you care a great deal about if you've dropped the money on it. It's not uh, just going to be old, old George St. Pierre's homies right. who get to fight on yeah, the exactly. Day like, like the guys that George St. Pierre promotes are not, are not fights one through four. You right? mean now that Francis Carmont is in Bellator? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Frankie Cars drove over to Bellator. Uh, and, but you're going to get like, you, you know, all of the people. And I assume boxing, uh, you know, they know Bado Jack and, and Gervonta Davis and all this stuff. Uh, but, but like, it feels relevant. It feels for the most part, a lot of times action packed. I feel like the end of a, even a mediocre UFC pay per view often feels like you got your money's worth. And we complain about it a lot of times and we're critical about it. And I guess kind of watching this boxing pay-per-view, which feels like it hasn't evolved really since like the seventies or eighties, uh, made me kind of think fondly about what we get, uh, you know, most months out of the year. I think that, that, uh, I feel like we were pretty lucky as MMA fans well, to have this product. Hopefully you can carry that lucky feeling into Strew Volkov. <laughs> yes, yes, I will. Uh, last question this week comes to us from Brandon B., who writes, UFC 215 is on its way to the city I currently reside in. That would be Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Nice. Uh, looking at StubHub, nosebleed seats are starting at around $85. I've never been to a UFC event before. I've heard it's great to experience it live at least once. Even though the seats aren't the greatest, do you think it would be worth it? We've talked about this on the podcast before, but it has been a while. So I thought it was worthwhile updating our, uh, our thoughts on going to see the live UFC event experience. Uh, and I think that our thoughts are, if you have not done it, yes, by all means, go do it at least once. Yeah. Especially if you don't see, like, a better opportunity anytime nearby. I mean, like, they're probably not going to come back to Edmonton for a while. Uh, We've already seen that the USC's attitude toward Canada is, these days, you can have the leftovers kind of thing. So, unless you have any big trips to Vegas planned for the end of the year, yeah, go ahead. And don't worry too much about bad seats, because I've had bad seats at, like... You know, the type of arenas that the UFC usually goes to. And they're really not that bad. Yeah. You know, you it's not it's not the same, I think, as uh, you know, watching like a pro football game from bad seats in a huge stadium. It, you know, you you still it's not like you feel like you can't follow along with the action. And the live event experience is, you know, it's worth getting that at least once in your time as an MMA fan. I would also be curious, though, to ask Brandon B. what the difference is between those nosebleed seats. Yeah, what's one step up? And the, uh, the, the, like, the lower bowl. Because a long-time listeners of the Co-Main Event Podcast will know that our preferred seat recommendation is that if you can get somewhere in the middle of the yeah. lower bowl, like the lowest, the lowest section of raised seats uh, is probably the best seat in the house. Because if you get down on the floor, 
it's kind of hard to see into the into the octagon sometimes. What you don't think about when you watch on pay per view is that there are portly cameramen positioned on every That's octagon true. post. So if you're down on the floor, a lot of times you have an obstructed view. Uh, but if you're up in that raised section, you can see down into the cage, but you're still pretty close. That's the money place to be, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and it would be. I mean, if that's an extra thirty bucks or something, then by all means, pop for that that extra upgrade. I guess and, we should say also as a caveat that we hope you're not attached to any one single fight. Yeah, because already and UFC 215, I guess, is a good fight card to ask this about because it is. You know, you got Demetrius Johnson and Amanda Nunes, and the fight card where the UFC seems to just have decided, like, all right, screw it. No one's going to buy this one, so we'll just put everybody nobody's going to buy on the one. And it did have a pretty good undercard that was worth looking at. But then you lost Junior Dos Santos and Francis Ngannou, and that one hurts, man. That does hurt. That's a big loss right there. And you know who's taking it pretty hard? Who? Francis Ngannou. That's right. He's lost right now. He doesn't know what to do without this fight on, on tap. No, I appreciate his... Uh, use of social media to really let us know that, that he feels our pain and now we feel his. Yeah. On the bright side, he's probably going to get to beat somebody else up. I would think, I don't know. Just guessing that's going to do it for listener mail this week. If you have a question, a comment, a concern that you would like to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. You go to the website, comainevent.com and click the link in the top right hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. While you're there, you can sign up for the Breakfast of Champions newsletter. That comes out every Friday morning to catch you up on the news and notes that we miss on all the days that we're not recording the podcast. Stuff always happens. News always breaks. Champions always potentially test positive for steroids. It's short. It's informative. We would love to tell you it's funny. And if you don't like it, well, it's really easy to unsubscribe. As for right now, though, we're going to go ahead and get started with round number one. One of this week's co-main event podcast is sponsored by Fulton and Rourke. You may have seen in the Breakfast of Champions email last week that Fulton and Rourke was planning on offering a 25% off coupon for all cologne if Conor McGregor managed to pull off the impossible and beat Floyd Mayweather. Well, spoiler alert, McGregor did not win the fight, but he did take it to the 10th round and he won a couple few rounds in between. So, in the not at all expert opinion of the guys at Fulton and Rourke, he did pretty well. Yeah, the dudes at Fulton and Rourke figure that's worth celebrating, so they decided to go ahead and offer the deal anyway. That's pretty cool. And right now, through Tuesday at midnight, go to FultonandRourke.com and get 25% off any solid cologne purchases with the coupon code GOODENOUGH, all one word, at checkout. That's good enough for 25% off any solid cologne. If you're looking for a recommendation, they suggest Captiva. Captiva. It's a fresh green citrus fragrance that started off as a limited reserve, but customers liked it so well that FNR recently made it a permanent offering. Now, unlike $100 pay-per-view events, there's no chance that your internet stream is going to crap out on you. And if you don't like your purchase, it's easy to get your money back. Just send the product you don't love back to Fulton and Rourke, and they'll be happy to exchange it or refund you. Good luck, good luck on getting the Mayweathers or the UFCs to issue a refund. Seriously, though, uh, we can't say enough nice things about Fulton and Rourke. Run online today to FultonandRourke.com and use that promo code GOODENOUGH to get 25% off your purchase for any of their fine, solid colognes. Uh, 
So as we approach this round one, Ben, uh, I, I would like to do it in three parts. Okay. Wow. This is getting complicated. Three rounds, one round in three parts. That's right. So it's like a mini co-main event podcast all in this round. I don't even know what the parts are. Can we do the third one first no. and the second one last? No, just no. To we got to do them in this further? order. Okay. I think we should talk about how the fight went and how Conor McGregor did, which I assume is better than we both expected. I guess that's part one. In part two, I think we should talk about how Floyd Mayweather fought and whether or not we feel like that played a major role in Conor McGregor being able to do better than we thought he would. Hold on. I got to let me get you writing this down. I got to get some notes here. Just take a few notes here. All right. Uh, And then in part three. I think we should talk about how uh, watching Conor McGregor fight in boxing was demonstrably different than watching him fight in mixed martial arts and why that was, perhaps. Okay, I've already forgotten what the first two parts were. but Okay, well, you... part number one is about Conor McGregor looking better than we thought he would. Okay, all right. Which I think he did. You know, he went out there uh, and his output was, you know, better than we expected in the first few rounds. Uh, he didn't get much back from Floyd Mayweather and that kind of allowed Conor McGregor uh, to get in a rhythm, I think, to get his feet under him, to really kind of settle into this mega event. Uh, and, and ultimately, I think the end result is that we went into this fight that we thought was borderline illegal. We come out on the other, other side thinking, you know what? That was okay. That wasn't as bad as we thought. I don't know if it's, uh, the joy of lowered expectations or if like we actually got a competitive fight out of this thing. It is definitely, at least in part, the joy of lowered expectations, but you're right. You know, you come out of, the first round, and you go, wait a minute, Conor McGregor won that round. Like, he seriously just won that round. And again, yeah, Floyd Mayweather was not doing a whole lot, and that seemed to be by design. Uh, and so, okay, then you go into round two, and you come out of that one going, he might have won that one too. Uh, only one judge, by the way, gave him the first three rounds. Right, yeah. Uh, and all the, the other two judges only gave him the first round. And he complained about that afterward and said that that was biased judging. And honestly, while I am really willing to write off most of those kind of post-fight complaints, I think he might actually have a point in that one. And the same way that when they come to the center of the ring for the pre-fight instructions and referee Robert Byrd uh, is making clear that he will put up with no nonsense, no skullduggery in this fight – and it's very obvious that he's talking to only one of the fighters about that. Like he yeah. has his head tilted toward Conor McGregor and it's a, like a not typical set of boxing instructions for that – like a bout on that kind of stage. It just – he he's really going out of his way to like be clear that we're not going to put up with any bullshit from Conor McGregor. So clearly I think there is a case to be made that the – the boxing apparatuses were a little bit li- aligned against McGregor there. I feel like, yeah, the, I was just going to say, I felt like the edifice of boxing treated McGregor kind of weirdly in this fight. And a big part of it was those bizarre pre-fight instructions where referee Robert Byrd was only looking at Conor McGregor. Didn't glance once at Floyd Mayweather. was just sort of like, uh, it, it's like if you're a dad on the way to Disneyland and you know there's one kid that you got to keep your eye on that you know is going to act up. And you're like giving the prep, the pep talk in the rearview mirror saying like, okay, we're going to use our best manners while we're <laughs> yes, at Disneyland yeah. and we're all going to stay as a group. But you're only looking at the one kid and you're saying, Davey, <laughs> this is for you. Yes. Not worried about your sister. But yeah, I thought it was weird. And then like they also did the, like the broadcast, even though Mauro Ronaldo was doing the play by play, which I thought was a great choice because he's a guy who knows both sports. Uh, you know, Conor McGregor gets warned multiple times for those hammer fists. Uh, and the, the, the boxing color commentators were basically like, well, he can't help himself. Sort of like he's <laughs> slipping back into his natural, his natural state as an, like Conor McGregor is a huge gorilla yeah. that just like, 
can't uh, can't follow the rules. Well, I mean, he did do the hammer fist over and over again. He did and do that. just like in MMA, no real punishment uh, from the referee other than please stop. Um, but, you know, as far as being surprised at his performance in the fight itself, especially like there was a moment maybe in the second or third round, uh, and I, I want to say it was Al Bernstein who, when Conor McGregor is landing at jab, and you can hear him like reluctantly being like, Hey, it's, it's a good jab. He actually has a good jab. Uh, and that seemed like a genuine moment of surprise. And there were a few of those from Conor McGregor. I mean, I do think it's definitely possible. And I already have seen a lot of people in the MMA community doing it to be overly impressed with this 10th round TKO loss. But I do think it, because our expectations were so low to begin with that to see him go out there in his boxing debut against Floyd Mayweather, and land over a hundred punches, even if a lot of it is due to how Mayweather chose to fight that fight. I don't think that we should just discount that as if it means nothing. Yeah, I think that I saw that the over under on punches that Conor McGregor would land was twenty nine point five, and he landed one hundred and eleven. So while I don't know that it's necessarily fair to make those comparisons to Manny Pacquiao or Shane Mosley or whoever else we're comparing him to, he obviously did much better than uh than anticipated especially by those by those metrics uh okay let's let's talk about floyd mayweather here because after the fight is over and mayweather has won via 10th round tko he does tell jim gray uh inside the ring during his post-fight interview that this was his game plan that he wanted to feel mcgregor out figure him out and then kind of turn it up uh, in the later rounds as mcgregor began to fade which frankly is something we've seen work against mcgregor in mixed martial arts uh how much credit do we give Conor McGregor for looking great? And how much do we concede, okay, Floyd Mayweather kind of carried him to those early round victories just by his own inactivity? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if he carried him implies that he did it on purpose to make Conor McGregor look good. I think he, he I believe that he did it on purpose as part of a strategy designed to tire McGregor out, to let him throw that heavy stuff early on. You know that that's what... He wants to do, he thinks his best chance probably is to catch you early in that fight and use, you know, the, the size advantage and the power, uh, to hurt you early. So you want to be careful. You, you don't want to go out there throwing a whole bunch of stuff. You want to be defensive minded. Uh, and if you can let him wear himself out a little bit, then good. And you also, you could see a difference in as Floyd Mayweather's, uh, strategy changed. You could watch, uh, Conor McGregor's body language and his stance and everything change. Because at first, I was a little surprised early on in the fight to see him with a stance that was not so different from his MMA approach, where especially he went out there, uh, in the first round and he has that, that right lead hand way out in front, you know, kind of covering up. Uh, Mayweather's lead hand, like he loves to do in MMA, where he, he doesn't use his, his right hand for a whole lot. He'll reach out there, uh, and then kind of just cover up your hand and look to throw that left hand down the middle. And he was doing that and had his hands kind of way out there, really trying to use that reach. And then you could see as Mayweather got more aggressive and as McGregor started to wilt under the pressure a little bit, and as McG uh, Mayweather's coming forward, the hands just got closer and closer and closer, and he just kind of shrunk down like into himself. And it was, you know, the size difference I thought was a lot more visually apparent than I expected in those early rounds. You thought, man, McGregor looks way bigger. And then as Mayweather put that pressure on him, it was as if he just got smaller and smaller. 
Well, let's talk for two seconds about Conor McGregor's cardio, because this is something we've seen from him in the past, right? Like uh, against Nate Diaz, he kind of got tired both times. Obviously, the second time he ends up winning the majority decision. But, uh, you know, each time out, Conor McGregor gives us this line, which sounds great coming out of his mouth and his Irish accent about how he's figured it all out. He went through and he, he found all the mistakes of the past. Uh, and he corrected them, and that's why he's had this success. He says it particularly about, like, the chokeout loss to Diaz, right? He corrected the mistakes, and that's why he's been able to be successful since then. And leading up to this fight, he was slanging the McGregor fast conditioning program. Pretty much every time you put a mic in front of him, he would say something about McGregor fast. I feel like it's a super awkward look, despite the fact that that there are a lot of things about Conor McGregor that I really like. And one of them is his kind of like self-awareness and his ability to sort of diagnose his own problems. But I feel like it's an awkward look for him to continue to get tired like this in these fights, especially when you're trying to sell a conditioning program. You know, but I don't know that this was the result of like not good enough conditioning. Like, I mean, I think people are quick to assume that. Um, but especially from Conor McGregor, it's not like I look at this and think like, well, he just didn't work hard enough at his conditioning. He didn't get in good enough shape. I think he was in as good a shape as he could possibly get. But I think it's a this is something that pressure fighters can do to him. And Floyd May- Mayweather not even really known uh, most of the time as that kind of pressure. I mean, Nate Diaz, a classic pressure fighter, and that's how he did it. Like if you can take Conor McGregor's power and you can keep coming forward and you can just kind of suffocate him like – psychologically as much as physically by just continuing to get in his face and keep that on him and not give him any time to to rest. And that's what Floyd Mayweather was doing in those later rounds, especially. It was just constant forward pressure and never giving him any time off. And I think that that's what did it. And, you know, and being able to hit him well to the body also is going to make a difference too. But, and also it's, and a lot of people said this, especially people who had experience in both sports that, cardiovascularly, it's different to fight 12 rounds of boxing, uh, three-minute rounds, than it is to fight, you know, three or five five-minute rounds in MMA. Like, the five-minute round kind of lends itself to both guys needing some breaks in there in the rounds. Uh, the three-minute boxing rounds, uh, I think that, like, psychologically, that can get to people who aren't really used to that. And you heard several people say it. I think that's what you saw there. I don't really think that it was just a physical failure on his part to prepare. So when we watch Conor McGregor fight in mixed martial arts, obviously his style is very much typified by his power, his left-handed striking power. And especially if you look at that most recent performance against Eddie Alvarez, the strikes that he's throwing in that fight are just dominant. He just torches Eddie Alvarez with that power. It was interesting to me and surprising to me to see that power not really translate to boxing. Uh, you know, he cracked Mayweather with that uppercut in the first round. He had some good moments, that uppercut, especially some left hands that he landed. Got him with a body shot later on. Seemed to hurt. Uh, but it was a different style from Conor McGregor that we're used to seeing in, in MMA, uh, more volume related really than power related. Uh, well, and that was strange to me. And Pauly Malignaggi even said during the broadcast, he didn't think Conor knew how to quote unquote leverage his power in boxing. I don't know what that means, but, uh, I don't know if it's a valid point or not. I just thought it was interesting that like Conor McGregor was kind of like a pitter pat volume fighter in this fight rather than like a a knockout artist. But I think that's what happens to you when you are not that confident that you can land with any given punch. Uh, And Mayweather is so hard to hit. And you could see that 
in a lot of these exchanges where he goes in there and um, McGregor is able to seize the offensive and throws three or four punches, and a lot of them come close to landing but don't quite land. You know, glances off his shoulder, comes just short of his face. And I think that what happens to you, it's, it's super exhausting to throw and miss, especially to throw really hard and miss. And so if you're not sure that any given punch you throw is going to connect, you're going to take a little something off of it just so you don't wear yourself out swinging and missing. I think that that's what, what happened because I think he was throwing harder early on. And then when you clear, when you kind of learn that this guy is not always going to be where you think he's going to be, and that's part of Mayweather's genius as a boxer, then yeah, you, you take something off of it just for self-preservation. You want to do, are you fucking kidding me? Sure. And then I'll we do. will move on to round number two. Ben, what's your, are you fucking kidding me this week? Well, Chad, you know that I normally enjoy enjoy reading the sports website Deadspin. Okay, Deadspin.com. Right. Yeah. Uh, I've heard of it. I'm yeah. familiar with it. You might you might have heard of Deadspin.com. I like it. I it's funny. Uh, it does do the the knowing snarky tone of the internet a little too much for my tastes at times, in which it presents itself as if us and our readers are the only smart people in the world, and everybody else are idiots. Uh, but they went kind of hard in before this McGregor Mayweather fight talking about what an absolute garbage fight it was. Even ran a story the day of the fight that said, for the love of, this is the headline, for the love of God, do not pay for the Mayweather McGregor fight. Um, and yet after the fight itself, same thing as everybody else, where there's a whole bunch of stories about Mayweather McGregor, gif of the finish, uh, Stories about Mayweather trying to bet on himself. All the same stuff everybody else is doing. All the same, you know, breathless coverage of this fight, which they knew was going to be super popular. I kind of got to give an are you fucking kidding me to the people who keep saying how totally garbage this fight is and how it's not worth our time or attention or money. And yet they know a lot of people are going to click on these stories. So they're not they're not going to turn down the money that they can make for it. You fucking kidding me? Fucking kidding me? Well, Ben, you know uh, Hurricane Harvey... Uh, ripped through Texas this past weekend. I had heard that, yes. Uh, it seems like a uh, complete disaster down there in the Lone Star State, but couldn't help but notice on MMA Junkie this week this story about uh, UFC standout Derek Lewis, who we all know uh, has an active and and impressive social media game. He's down there using his big truck to save people from the hurricane, which obviously is amazing. Shout out to Derek Lewis for that. The story that caught my eye is about Derek Lewis saving a man and his wife from the hurricane uh, and getting them in his truck and finding out that the guy is carrying a Confederate flag. Yeah. Awkward, right? I just want, I want to read Lewis's quote about it and then a, a, another quote about what the, how the guy was acting when Lewis was saving him. I don't care about that, Lewis told MMA Junkie. I live in Texas. It ain't nothing new. I've been living in the South all my life, and it ain't nothing I haven't seen before or discussed about. I don't care about that type of stuff. I just wanted to help him. First of all, I say, are you fucking kidding me? Derek Lewis, we don't deserve you. And then here's here he is talking about the, uh, the guy and his family. Uh, I picked one guy up and his family, his wife. He just kept apologizing to me because all he really had was his clothes and he wanted to take his Confederate flag, Lewis said. He wanted to take that with him. And he just apologized and said, man, I'll sit in the back of your truck, man. I don't want to have my flag inside your truck like this. And I said, man, I'm not worried about that. And he's saying, uh, you, 
you never know if you're going to need someone. So uh, I already knew where he was going with it. I just said, man, don't worry about it. It's okay. I don't care about that. His wife kept hitting him and saying, you should have just left it. (laughs) Are you fucking kidding me? All right. That's going to do it for round number one. We will be right back. Round number two. Chad, now that we talked about the fight itself, now I think we ought to look ahead to the unknowable future because Conor McGregor just made himself a ton of goddamn money. He did not hurt his personal brand any, I think, may have even made some new fans, uh, definitely increased his general awareness, and now it seems like he can kind of do whatever the hell he wants to do next. So what's he going to do? What should he do? And... Since I'm going to go ahead and add another part to this, just since you like to get parts within Wait, parts on parts. Wait, is this going to be in three parts? Part three, uh, how much are you willing to pay for McGregor versus Malignaggi, uh I'm going to say June, June 2018? Well, I was just going to say, I feel like the double-edged sword of this whole thing is that Conor McGregor fought just well enough to make people feel like that Polly Malignaggi fight might be worth it. And my take on that would be, no, (laughs) I kind of feel like this was the perfect boxing performance by Conor McGregor and he should just leave it alone and never go back there because, uh, he fought better than we all anticipated. He hung in there for 10 rounds against, uh, you know, one of the greatest fighters of all time, arguably the greatest fighter of his generation. And I would say by the end of it, Connor looked like he didn't really belong in there with Floyd Mayweather when he was really getting touched up in that ninth and 10th round. And I feel like if he went out there to try to have another boxing match that the professional boxers of the world would kind of have the book on him at this point. And I just don't think it would get any better for Connor than it did on this night on Saturday night. Uh, and I also don't feel like there are any fights out there that would make the mountain of cash that this one made, which was really, you know, it's it was a little bit too on the nose that they called this the money fight, right? And that they had the money belt. It said the money belt on it, Chad. Almost like they were they were kind of putting it in my face a little bit too much about why we were doing this. Like, do we need a symbol for money now? Like, money itself is not enough of a symbol. <laughs> uh, so I think that the like. The safe and sane move for Conor McGregor is to go back to the UFC and, and have any of the, you know, three or four fights there that seem like they will be pretty lucrative for him. The interesting thing, though, Ben, is like you would notice in that post-fight interview with Jim Gray, uh, where Jim Gray kind of asked him like what he would need to make, essentially, to go back to the UFC. And Conor gave a very noncommittal answer, sort of like, uh, you know, the terms change every time, which leads me to think, you know, this is a guy that's never taken a step back at the negotiating table since he arrived in 2013 in the UFC. Everything he's done has gotten bigger and bigger and bigger every step along the way. And now this Mayweather fight is frankly as big as it gets. It still seems like a potential sticking point to me to have him come back to the UFC potentially to fight, you know, Tony Ferguson or Habib Nurmagomedov or Nate Diaz or even George St. Pierre for like $13 million or whatever he was making before. So... It's possible that there's going to be some contract sticking points coming up. It's possible that he will use the threat of a future boxing fight to kind of 
hold over the UFC, I think, in some of these negotiations. Uh, and that makes me wonder where we're kind of going with all this. Like, cause the UFC and Connor have kind of a honeymoon period going on here. They're, they seem outwardly as pleased as possible with each other. Dana White is wearing a Connor McGregor centric t-shirt every time he goes out in public right now. So like, it makes me wonder how long they can keep that going. Yeah. I think, you know, one of the concerns before, and I, I wrote a column about this yesterday is how people talk like, Hey, he's going to make so much money. Are we ever going to see him again? Win or lose. And I think that one of the things that we've learned about Conor McGregor at this point is that just personality-wise, he is not the guy who makes a big payday and then disappears forever. You know, he's not the the Buster Douglas kind of guy who's just going to go live on his waterfront property and gain 200 pounds. He... It, like he's not going to be able to let himself do that. He's going to have to do something, but he's also going to have to tell himself that he's doing something bigger than the last thing, like you said. And so it's going to be kind of an ego thing to convince him that coming back to the UFC and fighting whoever is that thing. And I don't think you can do it just by money because I don't think the UFC can just logistically offer him more money than he made for this Floyd Mayweather fight. So you have to find some other way to convince him and let him feel like and let him say that he has continued on an upward trajectory after this fight. One of the ways you could do that is by giving him a piece of the company. Like he said he wanted, and Dana White's stance on that has softened a whole lot yeah. this week. He was saying, like, you know, they'll have that conversation, not out of the question. And you could argue about whether, you know, giving him the same kind of piece that Guy Fieri gets is actually going to be that lucrative for him. But at least it would be something where then he could say, like, hey, I I own some of this shit now. Like, I'm, you know, I'm running this. I'm not just another guy out here um, making a wage for doing a job. Like, I, I am part of the, the boss structure now. Which you know he would he would get a lot of mileage out of something like that. It would be insufferable, frankly, because can you imagine him telling whoever he's going to fight next that he's the boss? That's right. That he owns this company. Uh, I think you're right. I think that that's probably the move here. I think that that's how you keep everybody happy in this situation. And I think perhaps if the fact that Mayweather McGregor actually came off can teach us anything, it's that. Uh, all of the parties involved in this situation understand that it's going to be most lucrative for them to sort of keep this thing going. And I think that that's why you saw the UFC let this thing happen in the first place. And I think that's why Dana White now is talking at least about the potential of giving Conor McGregor an ownership stake in the company. Uh, and I, I kind of feel like it's the right move, to be honest with you, as long as, uh, you know, it, it works out financially. It, uh, it keeps Conor happy. It probably keeps him from ever going anywhere else. Uh, it just seems like the sort of like, uh, the, the long, like the, 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 not, I don't want to say the long con, but sort of like, uh, an investment in the, in your long-term relationship with this guy who has really quickly become your biggest draw of all time. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I agree that I don't want to see another boxing. I think you're, you're totally right that another boxing match would kind of just shatter the mystique. It's like if you get called up to, pinch hit against uh, Randy Johnson or something and it's been a while since you watched baseball huh but he's I'm trying to find up a good analogy oh, for okay. 40-year-old like Floyd, Floyd, May- Floyd yeah. Mayweather um and you go out there you foul a few off maybe you hit one out but it's just to the left of the foul pole even and people are going whoa this is way better than I expected and then you eventually strike out on like 18 pitches or something but still hey you did a lot better than people thought 
even if it still goes down as a strikeout at the end, and even if people are then going to turn around and say, okay, but if you actually had to face like an active, uh, you know, Cy Young award winner from last year, you'd get smoked. So don't, don't then turn around and, and say like, okay, I'm, this is what I do now. Because yeah, I think the, the hype will go out of that balloon really quickly. But then again, if we're talking about how it, did he attract some new fans, if you then tell those new fans, hey, remember Conor McGregor as last seen in this Floyd Mayweather fight that you paid 100 bucks for and maybe the streaming actually worked? Now he's going to fight Khabib Nurmagomedov. And they're going, what? Who? What did you say? Gesundheit? Like, I, I don't know if you're able to really to capture – like, it still feels like you need to find the right matchup to keep that, that train rolling. And sadly, that right matchup may not be like the most logical matchup from just the ranking standpoint. Yeah, I think it's Nate Diaz, to be honest with you. Do the trilogy fight. I think you would, you would make a lot of money doing that, especially since Diaz is out there hobnobbing around there with Floyd Mayweather, uh, after this fight. Can Talking we, shit to Brendan Shaw backstage. Can we talk a little bit about Floyd Mayweather's promotional work here? Because especially on our side of the aisle, we tend to regard Conor McGregor as kind of a visionary. There was a lot of sort of like, uh, back and forth about who was the A side here and who was bringing more promotionally to the table before this fight. Now that it's over and I kind of look back on it, am I being too cynical to say that Floyd Mayweather was the Kaiser Sose here? That he like, that Floyd Mayweather realized that this could be a fight, that Floyd Mayweather came out of retirement for an enormous payday for what he knew would be just a cakewalk of an actual boxing match that Floyd Mayweather insisted on 154 pounds, that Floyd Mayweather insisted on 8-ounce gloves, that Floyd Mayweather talked a bunch about how old he was and how Conor McGregor had a chance in this fight, uh, and then showed up and put on a fight. Now, 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 this I understand is a stretch, but like put on a fight where essentially everyone kind of looked good and everyone felt like they were a winner and now has said, all right, I'm done again. I'm I'm riding back off into the sunset or... I'm driving my Ferrari back to girl collection, as the case may be. Uh, I look back on this thing, and I think about a quote that Floyd Mayweather gave to Stephen A. Smith in their ESPN interview where he said something like, I'm making moves on the chessboard, but I'm not a pawn on the chessboard. I'm the guy playing chess, which when he said it kind of made me be like, kind of douchey there, Floyd. And now that I look back on the fight, I'm thinking, but maybe he was right. Like, maybe he did puppet master this whole thing. No, he did. But I think maybe you're giving him too much credit for being, like, a secret mastermind when I think all the stuff he was doing was pretty obvious as he was doing it. And I don't want to be the guy who is, like, sitting there, you know, halfway through the usual suspects and going, got it figured out. Kevin Spacey. <laughs> it's Kevin Spacey, you guys. Psh, whatever. Uh, but when we were talking about this fight beforehand – uh, I did point out, and I think several other people have also pointed out, that he was going out of his way to try to give people reasons to believe that Conor McGregor might win. The whole thing about how he's going to be hanging out in his strip club, which, by the way, girl collection is what you call your strip club. Yeah, that's creepy. It's it's creepy, and it's just like you don't call your strip club the first thing you think of. You know, we you don't make it so literal. We understand what a strip club is. Uh, I but, feel like it's actually sort of an accomplishment to take the strip club and make it creepier to like improve on the creepiness of the strip club scene. Well, when he also talks about how one of the great things about a strip club is you don't have to renovate it like you do with other clubs because it just, it everybody knows what a strip club is and they don't expect it to be fashionable. But 
all the stuff that he talked beforehand about how he's going to be hanging out at the strip club all week. I'm going to be partying every night leading up to my fight is what he said. It's obvious what he's doing there. Like all that stuff he – and he's talking about how old he is and how he's lost himself and he's not the fighter he used to be. Like he was trying to plant this seed of doubt in people's minds in a bunch of you know not that subtle ways. Sure. I'm not trying to say it's subtle but I'm, what I'm trying to say is that in MMA we're always like, oh, Conor McGregor, Mystic Mac, visionary. And now that I look back on it, I'm kind of like – Kind of seems like Floyd had his way here the whole way through from start to finish. That's true. I, I will not argue that. Anyway, that's going to do it for round number two. We will be right back with round number three. Well, Ben, Turinaball. Nailed it. Turinaball. Nailed it. On a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being a complete backbreaker and 0 being you you just don't care, where are you at on the backbreaker scale in terms of John Jones' latest performance-enhancing drugs positive test? So 10 is a complete backbreaker? Ten, 10 is is like you're you're done. Back done, bro. You're just going to walk into the ocean. 9.8. Pretty high, right? Yeah. Pretty high. Like I'm I'm already taking off my shoes for that walk into the ocean. <laughs> well, I, don't, I think you should leave them on, man. I, I'm feeling the sand in my toes and wondering if I can get by on these momentary pleasures and if that can erase the feeling that everything is terrible and nothing matters. Because, man, this one hurts. It hurts, and there's a lot of ins and outs involved here. Uh, John Jones tests positive during an in-competition test for UFC 214, his win over Daniel Cormier, wherein he won back the UFC Light Heavyweight Championship. Uh, we had a TMZ report after it happened that he would be stripped and that the belt would be given back to Cormier. I don't know if the UFC has... Uh, confirmed that or not yet. The last we heard, uh, UFC president Dana White told ESPN that that has not been decided yet. But I mean, depending on, depending on how this, this thing shakes out, there's not a lot of other options, I don't think. Well, I mean, I guess you could argue that you have other options about what to do with the belt once you take it away from him. But if this holds up, then you gotta think the belt will be changed to a no contest in California. That's not up to the UFC. If it's changed to a no contest, and he wasn't the champ going in, he won the the title in this fight, no contest means basically that the fight didn't even happen, yeah, yeah. so he can't keep the title. I mean, and I don't know, maybe it, it's at least a good question whether Daniel Cormier even wants that title back uh, in this fashion. But yeah, you could decide what to do with the title, but you can't decide really, I, I think, to keep him as your champion after something like this. The thing that's weird to me is, you know, the the case already that Jones's team is going to make is that, hey, how is this going to show up now? He did all these other tests. You know, what you're, you're saying he took a steroid like the day before the fight. That wouldn't make any sense. It wouldn't help him then. And these are all kind of like fair points. But no one wants to hear that bullshit from John Jones right now. Not anymore. If you're going to make the, like, contaminated supplement defense or something then it's going to be the second time in basically a year that you're making that defense. And a lot of people didn't buy it the first time and when you had a kind of a better standing. And now you're going to try it again, the same thing, after like the biggest win of his career. 
even if you're telling the truth, people don't want to hear it. They're fed up with it. Yeah, I think that the suspension of disbelief for a lot of people is going to be shattered. I think you will recall the the last time when we talked about this, when John Jones tested positive the first time and went with the contaminated substance uh, supplement defense. I recall distinctly saying, okay, you can go with the contaminated supplement defense, but this isn't going to work again for anybody. Like if John Jones does this, the word is out on contaminated supplements and we all need to get our shit together. So to have him come back and now it appears like we're going to make another contaminated supplement argument here. Number one, as uh, I, I guess I don't believe you. Is <laughs> my I'm willing to watch okay, what this do you play believe? out. What do you believe happened? Do you believe that this like okay here because here's another option. Yeah, he's cutting weight for this fight and. At the same time, maybe the testing for this particular substance is improving, and then that's how you catch him. That basically it wasn't that he had just taken it and that, you know, because of the circumstances of the test, when it was and what the test was, that that's what they, they caught him with something that he had already been taking for a long time. Yeah, I, I'm willing to let the process play out, obviously. Uh, I feel like it's an awkward look for USADA, though, even if they come back and are like, yep, another contaminated supplement. For old John Jones, I guess right now, if we're just talking opinion, what I suspect, I'm going to side with Victor Conte, who said on Twitter, and I think this is what he meant, You, as you know, with Victor Conte's Twitter feed. Yes. Kind of hard to, <laughs> yeah. to tell sometimes exactly what he meant. But I think he was saying that his belief was that the most likely occurrence was that the fighter was taking something that he knew was illegal, but he thought it was something else. Like, basically, he got a contaminated substance, like, that he bought a, something from an underground lab that he thought was basically the cream and the clear, right, that, like, oh. Barry Bonds used to take. Okay. But as you – and, like, I don't know anything about the steroid market, so I don't know how it goes, but, like, you go out there and you buy your drugs, right? Is it like the farmer's market? You, exactly you go down there like on a the Saturday morning? Market. Well, I, I they think – balloon animals? I think it's basically like a cocaine analogy, uh, which – Again, is awkward to make about John Jones, but it's like if you go out and buy some cocaine. Where? Uh, right now? Yep. Across okay. the street. I've got money. Yes. Are you driving? You can think that it's pure cocaine, but the chances are whoever you buy it from or the person that sold it to them has put something else in it. and that, that Especially can... if you live in a place like Missoula, Montana, and it had to go through a few stops to get here. Okay, this is not about you. Okay. <laughs> Okay, I see, uh, but you I see, see what, what I'm saying. saying. Yes. Like you buy one thing that may or may not be a legal or illegal performance enhancing drug, and it turns out that it's contaminated by something else. Right. Okay. The... Is that more or less believable than hey, I'm just a bad luck guy that got two contaminated supplements the, in a row? The thing that works against your bad luck argument is you can't simultaneously make the argument that like, hey, bad luck with uh, supplements, but also, hey, if he was really taking this, why didn't it show up in previous tests? Because well, what were you taking? Like, are you telling me you took a brand new supplement the day before the fight? Like, you can't make the argument that, like, there's no reason for him to take it, but there is a reason for him to take a brand new supplement uh, at that same time. Because, you know, those work against each other. You kind of have to pick a, a strategy there. But also, the thing that uh, I think has helped John Jones in the past was that we looked at him and we said, he just seems like a really gifted fighter. He doesn't seem, like, physically... Like he, you know, he didn't look like he had undergone some huge physical transformation. He didn't look like he was like beating people by being, uh, 
just like this overpowering genius. It looked like he had always been this kind of gifted prodigy at MMA since he showed up on the scene and he just got better and better at like a kind of like steady rate. And, but now with two tests in like inside of a year and you have to then, if you're John Jones, you're, you're now in a situation where you're telling people like, okay, I screwed up the first time and took something without knowing what was in it. And I paid for it extremely heavily. And then I turned around and I did the same thing again. Because if there's anybody who by this point should have been paying really close attention to absolutely everything that went into his body, it's John Jones, especially at this time when he's going into this huge fight. So you're telling me that that's when he goes to GNC and gets a, a vat of silverback explode? Like, the, he has the best reason to really make sure he knows what he's taking. So how did you screw up in that regard again? Yeah. And nobody in this industry wants to believe that John Jones would take PEDs. I think just because it would be, it would so like shatter the worldview of like the entire mixed martial arts landscape. If the guy that we just decided was probably the greatest of all time, overtaking the guy who may have been the former greatest of all time, who seeded at least some of that uh, title by himself testing positive for steroids. And now if we found out the new guy, also tested positive for steroids. Uh, it really brings a circus atmosphere to the whole thing, as far as I'm concerned. It's really hard for me to sit here and tell you that uh, that this is an easy one to take, because it is not. Well, And then here's the other element of this, is that, say, USADA or the California Commission, um, because basically it's going to be whoever doles out the harsher sentence here, uh, one, let's say at least one of them is not buying his bullshit on this one and comes down with a heavy, heavy penalty and John Jones is out two to four years uh, with a suspension. Man, what the hell then? Especially if you're the UFC because Ronda Rousey is off living a whole new life. Uh, Conor McGregor might get a little more difficult to deal with now that he's walking around with $100 million in his pocket. Uh, you know, you might be able to get him to come back and fight some, but you need somebody else to help sell these damn pay-per-views. John Jones had just proven to you that he can do that in this huge fight with Daniel Cormier, which is kind of your best pay-per-view night of the year so far. And then you lose John Jones for an extended period of time. This, this hurts you if you're the UFC. It would be the tragic, but not necessarily unexpected, perhaps final turn of events for John Jones. Although, Let's say he got suspended for four years. He would come back and be 33 or 34 years old, right? Uh, and have would have taken as an extended break from fighting. And I, who knows if he would even want to come back. But if you were the UFC, wouldn't you kind of have to put him back in there? Oh, yeah. Well, you know what? The only way – if he if he gets suspended for four years, if, if nobody's buying it and everybody's like, no, you did steroids, you're gone. When he comes back, he has to come back as a fat heavyweight. He has to intentionally <laughs> look – really out of shape. He needs to walk to the ring smoking a cigarette for his heavyweight debut uh, upon his return. That's that's the only way. I'm saying it right now. All right. Well, let's do Just Saying Stuff, and we will get out of here for this week. Ben, we kind of talked about this earlier in the show, but this week I'm just saying boxing is weird, man. And I'm not just talking about the sport. I'm talking about the whole scene where you got the uh, – 
the Corona girls in their bikinis up there at the press conference looking yeah. like wax sculptures. Yeah. Just smiling for hours at a time. How can they do that? Where you got the like red, white, and blue ropes and the blue canvas and it's looking like nobody has updated this thing since the 1980s. I don't know, man. I, I come, I watched this boxing pay-per-view and I came away thinking like all of these people that are super into boxing but won't give mixed martial arts the time of day. I kind of feel the opposite. The exact opposite way. Like, give me a mixed martial arts pay-per-view anytime over over almost all of what we saw on Saturday night. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Just saying. But, Chad, I'm just saying, do you remember last week's show? Ah, oh, God, it feels eight, like ages ago. It was yeah. before John Jones tested positive. It was before the money fight. It was before the money belt. We didn't even know about the money belt yeah. last week. We were naive children then. Well... At one point in last week's show, we were talking about how we thought the money fight itself would actually go. And you may or may not recall that when it was my turn to make a prediction, I said that I thought that Conor McGregor was going to surprise some people, especially the people who thought there was no way he even deserves to stand in a, in a boxing ring. Um, and I said, quote, I think to some extent he's going to go out there and look like he can box. I also said, Chad, quote, but I do think once you get past that halfway point, you'll start to see the fatigue and frustration and Mayweather piling up the damage on him, and I think he gets stopped. To which you responded, Chad Dundas, I don't know that he goes the distance. I don't know that he's going to get tired either. I would not be surprised if McGregor has really good cardio for this fight and he's ready to go the 12 full rounds. Wait, what are we, what are we doing here? This, what's, my what's just this? sayings is to you, Chad Dundas. Okay. I'm just saying... You weren't necessarily wrong, but I'm also just saying I was more right than you were. I'm just saying I kind of told you so. You're just saying. You're putting your end of show. <laughs> Everybody can stop listening now. <laughs> Show's over. You're putting yourself Nothing over. Nothing to see here. And you're, and you're just saying stuff, really. You're just saying stuff is about. This is a direct quote from me about how he was going to get tired after the halfway point and he was going to get stopped and that's exactly what happened and you said he didn't think he'd get tired and so basically you're wrong and I was right. End of show. Show's over. Okay. All right. Pull the plug. I mean, you could tell me that you and I had each said usually anything we, we last end. week. Usually we end after the second okay. guy's just saying stuff. I mean, you could tell me that we both said anything and I would. Check the record, bud. <laughs> Check the record. <laughs> that is going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. We will be back, be back next week, I assume, to talk about what happened in Stefan Struve versus Alexander Volkov. Oh, but the numbers for that show are going to be insane. The that, downloads are just be off the, the charts. That's the money fight that's right, right there. Is the money belt up for grabs in that one, that one the heavyweight money belt? Uh, I think, actually, the money clip okay. is what's up for grabs in this one. As for right now, though, we are done. We are through. We are out. And if you're wondering, did Ben really go back and listen to last week's show just so he could transcribe his own remarks? Yes. Yes, he did. I mean, that's what I did with my morning. On one hand, I want to say embarrassing. On the other hand, it seems like you were right, so I guess I got to give him your props. Woo! I mean, I would have thought you would have been.